0: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host
1: everyone knows therapy is great for
0: solving problems but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist Fitting into their schedule and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your
1: first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading
0: job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional.
1: Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I... I was hunting deer alone and shot a buck from much longer range than I should have. It looked like it was badly wounded, but it managed to run away. I gave chase and for most of that while it was out of my sight. After a mile or so of running I caught sight of the buck a couple hundred feet away. The animal was not moving and had been finished off by another hunter. That person was at the buck's rear end and looked like he was humping it. I didn't even consider getting a closer look at that point. I might have had a legitimate claim to part of the buck's corpse, but claiming the meat was the last thing on my mind. I bolted out of there faster than I could have managed while chasing after it, praying the whole time he didn't notice me. As long as there's crazy deer humpers in the woods, I'm not going back there. I received a lead on a dog-man encounter from a member of MUFON who had a friend that recently moved to Whitewater, Wisconsin. I arranged to meet with the Whitewater eyewitness. And here's what she kindly shared with me. It was around the fall of 2010, and I was driving home to Whitewater in the early evening. I was traveling at 55 miles per hour along a two-lane country highway, keeping an eye out for deer. Suddenly, I saw movement near my passenger side window. I slowed down a bit, fearing it might be a deer. It seemed to be down in the ditch line at first, but then it popped up next to my SUV, running alongside my vehicle and keeping up with me for about five to seven seconds. This was a tall, seven-foot, dark furry being that was much taller than a human. I realized it was definitely not a deer. It looked like a big, furry bear-wolf creature, running on two legs. It had these big, pointed ears like a wolf, but much larger, along with a big head and a large body. As I hit my brakes, The creature went down on all fours, bounding across the road in front of my SUV its back, went on all fours, was even higher than the hood of my SUV. It leapt gracefully across the two lanes of the highway in just a couple of bounds and then disappeared off the roadway, running past a barn and into the woods on the other side. The creature was longer than my SUV was wide. It definitely wasn't a bear, and it wasn't a wolf. There are no bears or wolves in southern Wisconsin, except for the occasional one passing through. After speaking with me, the eyewitness believed I was sincere and could see that I was still shaken while recalling what I had witnessed, even eight years later. I could feel the hair standing up on my arms, and I shivered. It's worth noting that the Beast of Bray Road sightings occurred less than 20 miles away, and my sighting happened less than 7 miles from Bigfoot. UFO flying man-bat, werewolf, gremlin, and our wereboy sightings. My cousin and I were walking down the Harris River from the Harris River campground. We had been walking for about 30 to 45 minutes when my cousin thought he saw something standing out in front of us, about a hundred or so feet away. When he asked me if I could see what it was, I told him I couldn't because I didn't have any contacts on or glasses. He told me it was just a stump, and I replied, okay. We went over to where we thought the thing was, and in the sand, about an inch deep, there was a footprint that looked like a man's, with a shoe size that seemed to be around 15. There were three footprints in total. About a minute later, we ran for about 10 minutes, then started walking again. Eventually, We reached the road, which was about a mile away from the picnic area where we were having a Mother's Day picnic. We started to race each other to the picnic area, where our family members were. We told them about what we had seen, but for some odd reason, we decided to keep it to ourselves. It was gun deer season in northern Wisconsin. I was sitting in an open tree stand that was relatively low to the ground. In front of me, to my left was dense shrubbery and to my right, there was an opening before the wood started. All of the sudden, I heard some rustling in the bushes to the left. Two little fluff balls came tumbling out into the open area. Initially, I had no idea what they were. I was intently focused on them, trying to figure out what animal this was. Then I heard the deepest and scariest growling coming from behind me. I immediately froze. Next thing I knew, I had a mother bobcat circling my tree. It might have only been a minute or two, but it felt like an eternity. She continued circling the tree, growling at me and never taking her gaze off of me. Finally the cubs decided they were done playing and everyone moved on. I will never forget the sound of that growl and the intensity of the bobcat's eyes staring at me. After I came back in, I told this story to my dad. He seemed rather excited, saying that he hasn't seen any wild bobcats in the area yet. However, I did not feel so lucky about the encounter at the time. This incident happened around 11 pm. At night, My daughter was home alone as she lives with a relative who was out of town. She called me at 11.22, and she was terrified. She mentioned hearing something walking back and forth by her bedroom window. She also said she looked out the window when she first heard it and saw something big and black, really massive. She described the thing as being about three to four feet above the bottom of the window. When I went down to look behind the house the following morning, I stood by the window. I am 5 foot 4, and my eyes just reached the bottom of the window. So, I figured this thing must have been 7 to 8 feet tall. We live in a small village of fewer than 500 people, and there are a lot of bushes and trees between the houses. Their house is close to the beach, and there's a forest surrounding the town. Now, I've never known my daughter to be afraid of anything, but last night when I went to pick her up, She was shaking like a leaf and hysterical. It took me almost an hour to calm her down. I questioned her about what happened, and she called me about five minutes after she first saw it. She was too scared to move when I got down there. I would not look behind the house, but she was hiding in my relative's closet. She said it was walking back and forth right behind the house, describing the footsteps as sounding like someone very large walking on two feet. Kind of like a stomping. My daughter is usually very down to earth and not prone to dramatics. When I first went down there, I didn't really know what was going on, just that my daughter was extremely scared. But when I went up to the house, my hair felt like it was standing on end, and I had goosebumps really bad. I was scared, and I didn't know why. There are quite a few other stories about sightings close to town, and one was less than a mile away. Additionally, there have been other sightings on a nearby road by several people. In fact, there are probably too many for me to tell about. I go walking in the woods near my place and three terrifying things have happened, and every single one was in the same section of trail. The first was one of the earliest times I went walking. I wasn't entirely sure of my timing to get to the opposite end of the woods and back, and I ended up walking two-thirds of the way back in the dark. I had a flashlight which I could use part of the time, but wasn't able to leave on. I would flash it on, set my course, and walk until I felt I needed to check again. I'm walking through the pitch dark, and I hear something about 50 yards back scream. It scared the shit out of me. I picked up my pace a bit when suddenly whatever it was screamed again. About 15 feet away at my 11 o'clock. I hadn't heard anything move and I booked it. I leaned later that it may have been foxes, but I never went walking out there again without a means of self-defense. The second time was in late afternoon walk. Same spot on the trail, I was walking and it was almost Disney-like. Birds singing, bugs chirping, squirrels squirreling? There was a small breeze and it was lovely out. Suddenly, at the exact same time, the wind stopped, the sun dropped behind a cloud, and every single animal stopped doing anything. The entire woods went completely still and silent. I had never understood deafening silence until that moment. I tensed up and kept moving and about 10 seconds later, sound returned and everything went back to normal. I took the same way back and it didn't happen again. The third time was about a month later. I was walking down that way and I was looking about a little more, as this time I was out at midday and it was as bright as deep woods gets. I noticed something off the trail and went to look at it. I found a deer trail that I could follow and realized that the high grass hit a deep ditch off that trail that the river cut out during flooding. It had been dry, so I dropped into it. I'm a big dude at about 6.5 feet tall, and the edge of this ditch was at my eye level and probably about 10 feet across. I decided to follow it and come out at the river and then work my way down the bank until I hit the trail again. I walked about 25 feet and had to work over a tree that had collapsed into the ditch at a curve in its path. I came to the other side and froze. There was deer everywhere. Not plural deer a single deer spread over the entirety of the ditch. The ribs were closest, the skull was across the ditch from them, and all the other bones were scattered about like it had hit a land mine. There was a definite stench to the area and the bones were dry but still had sinew strung about them in spots. It took me all of about three seconds to realize that I was standing in something's dining room. I backed up to the tree, used it as my point of egress from the ditch and, Ignoring the voice in my head saying not to bust straight through the underbrush to the path, busted straight through the underbrush to the path. I came out at, you guessed it, that creepy spot on the woods trail. I walked swiftly to a different trail, and walked through the open field to get home. I don't know precisely what lives in that section of the woods, but it always freaks me out to see parents taking their toddlers out there to walk. It's a curvy path up to that section which is a straightaway with flat ground and the underbrush making a well-defined path. I know people let their kids run up and down it since they can see all the way to end and the kids have the ability to run freely without being out of sight. I know it's probably not going to happen, but I always mentally see a kid running away from his parents down the path, a rustle of brush, a flash of fur, and the sound of little Billy being carried off into the woods. My next encounter with a possible dog man was in December 2016. I own my own business, and outside the building, I found a trail of huge prints, each marked with two claw marks in a single file trail. I investigated the prints, took pictures, and cast the best one. I've had other strange experiences as well. I've heard knocking on the side of the building and noises banging around upstairs. I've seen a large wolf. And there are no wolves in southern Wisconsin, sitting in the parking lot next door, watching my window. I've also witnessed UFOs across the highway in the cornfields and orbs around my building. One late night, a UFO came towards me, and I heard a loud metallic voice say my name and order me to do something, although I can't recall what. I then experienced missing time when I was texting a coworker repeatedly and we both ended up in the parking lot 3 hours later, not knowing how she got there. I believe I have an implant in my chest, and when I showed it to someone, they confirmed it. It's about an inch long and half an inch wide, just under the skin on my chest. My coworker also has an implant that we believe is related to our experiences. She remembers the greys that took us and has seen them before in my parking lot. She knows what they sound like and has also seen the wolf run across the road in front of her one night on her way home. I believe my experiences entirely. I've known myself for years now, and my sons also know me. My case makes me wonder if, as MUFON believes, the dogman is a screen for the greys. In my case, I could believe that. I've been targeted and am afraid to speak out because I believe that when I do, Bad things happened to me and my family. I've also taken pictures of the UFO getting closer and closer to my business and orbs in several pictures. It was 2017 when it was winter. I live in British Columbia along the coast. I think there was a bit of snow on the ground and the sun had just set so it was not completely dark out yet, but not light either. My sister and her boyfriend, and me and my boyfriend were in our backyard. I think we just went outside briefly to run around in the snow, since where we live it's actually a rare occurrence. My sister all of a sudden freezes and says she sees something or someone behind a tree. She then walks over to it and she sees it disappear. Freaked out she wanted to go back inside so we all went with her. When inside she told us what she saw was a large blackwing creature sitting behind a tree looking in our direction. Apparently, it was sitting with its wings down, covering its body kind of hunched. Then when she got closer she saw it turn the other way covering its face with its wing so it wasn't facing her anymore. It moved further away behind the tree and once she was close enough to see it. It was gone. None of us believed her. We all told her it was probably just a raven, or a herring, a shadow. But she was sure she saw something huge, with wings. We let it go, but she was clearly freaked out. Fast forward to the next Saturday. My boyfriend and I, my sister and her boyfriend, same people as before, were all in my bedroom, which is the master bedroom of the house and we have these French doors that open up onto the sun deck and look out into our backyard. We were just about to smoke some weed together. When my boyfriend opened the door to the sun deck and looked up past our backyard to see this massive bird leave a branch in a tree. He said holy s that eagle is huge. I looked up just in time to see it leave the branch and fly for like, two seconds before it disappeared behind more trees. But it was bigger than an eagle for sure. It wasn't in a tree in our backyard, but we have this embankment that goes up to these apartments that are next to us and the tree we saw the thing fly off was up there. So it wasn't really clear, but we have eagles around us often and I have never seen one that size. It looked like its wingspan was 14 feet long almost. It was completely black. My sister and her boyfriend just missed it, but they saw the tree branch it came off still bouncing up and down from it jumping off. I said it looked like a human with wings and my sister freaked out and reminded us of the time she saw that thing in the backyard. All of us had forgotten about it until she told us about it again. Now I actually believe her. My boyfriend said it looked like a human with wings but he doesn't believe in stuff like that. Plus on top of this, we had a dog who passed away in January but she would sleep on the sun deck if it was warm enough for her. And often we could hear her growling at something in the backyard and pacing back and forth. Could have been a deer in the backyard, or a raccoon. But my dog was uninterested in deer in her old age and raccoons used to come on our deck all the time and we would hear them. But this time it was different. I've hunted quite a bit when I was in my 20s, not so much now. The one that really stands out was when I was walking through unfamiliar woods and I just got the feeling something was watching me. Like something was hunting me and not the other way around. I never saw anything. No tracks, no tufts of fur, nothing to suspect an animal was hunting me, but I just couldn't shake the feeling. Only time I've ever been out in the woods and got that uneasy. Since June 2017, I've been witnessing something peculiar at night whenever I step out into my yard. At first, I had no idea what it was but I could clearly see large yellow eyeshine, approximately three feet off the ground. When I spot this being, I get an intense fight-or-flight feeling. I remember telling the being, I'm not afraid of you, so don't mess with me. On that particular night, my neighbor also saw the being in the darkness. As I approached it, the being backed away. It was a remarkable sight, this tall figure, with no growling or aggression just calmly watching me. I went inside briefly to grab my knife, but when I returned, the being had disappeared. My neighbor, who had previously heard heavy breathing while walking the ice age trail with his wife, couldn't see anything. However, he distinctly heard the sound of something with long nails walking on the pavement and even a hyena-like laughter coming from the being. He saw five sets of eyeshine, four pairs of yellow and one pair of red. The eye shine was above his head, and he's 5 feet 11 inches tall, so those beings had to be at least 6.5 to 7 feet in height. The howl we heard resembled the dog man howl on the NADP website. On another occasion, my neighbor was taking out the trash before work around 2 am. In the lights of his truck, he saw something in front of it, a creature that he described as a wolf on steroids. It was incredibly muscular and its head reached my neighbor's chest when it was on all fours. He said it looked like a bodybuilder, stared at him, and let out a yip before he left. About a week later, I was taking my dogs out of their backyard kennels and bringing them into the house. As I let my bulldog inside, I saw two yellow shining eyes in my yard, about 40 feet away. I calmly addressed the being, I don't care if you are here, but don't mess with my family or my dogs. I then went inside with my other dog. At approximately 3 am, we were awakened by loud animal noises, a strange mix of a whistle, a scream, and a hum all at the same time, with what seemed like infrasound involved. Around two weeks ago, my neighbor and I spotted the being at about 8.30 pm, and it was still light out. After a bonfire, my neighbor poured water on the embers, causing them to smoke and sizzle. The startling noise prompted the being to rise from the tall grass on two legs. It was an incredible sight, with large muscles but a skinny waist. It had human-like shoulders, but they were exaggerated and massive. The quads were thick, and the legs got skinnier from the knees down. It had pointed ears, a wolfish appearance, and a bushy wolf-like tail. Its fur was black with two white stripes starting at the ears and running down to the chest. It watched us from the tall grass before running toward the woods on all fours and then on two legs and back to four. I even grabbed a spotlight and headed toward the trail the being had taken. However, due to the ditches on either side of the trail, I decided to return, believing that the being was merely curious and not a threat to us. I don't think the being is around right now, and I suspect it was merely curious rather than stalking or threatening us. It was January of 2003 in Baxter County, Arkansas, and we were near the intersection of Highway 62 and 101. The time was around 2 or 3 in the morning, and it was a cold, clear winter night. I was coming home from fishing, and as we rounded the 30 mile an hour curve just before the stop sign, we were headed south on 101. That's when we saw something unusual. An animal, walking upright, came into clear view as he was illuminated by my high beams. He was on the west side shoulder. My buddy, Joe, who was with me, and I didn't exchange a word. We were now driving at maybe 20 miles an hour as we watched this massive creature, standing upright, taking one step. He went from the far side of the shoulder to the center line, where he paused for a moment and looked us up and down. Although we didn't feel any fear. Joe and I both had the sense that he was looking at each one of us, starting with me and then turning his gaze toward Joe. After that, he turned his head straight and leaned forward, putting his knuckles on the pavement. He swung his hips through his arms and was now on the far side of the east shoulder, disappearing into the night. Well I wasn't hunting at the time but at the age of 6 I was exploring the wooded area in between my grandparents house and a retirement community and I stumbled upon what I believed to be a large gummy toy snake. I proudly paraded my new snake all through the surrounding parks and neighborhoods before I returned home. My new friend was immediately confiscated by my grandmother and it took me until high school to understand why my grandfather almost died laughing at me. I had discovered an abandoned 14 inches double-ended dildo. In August of 2006, I was working in Northern California and was interested in finding big footprints. I have a friend who is a member of the Hoopa First Nation. I contacted him and then spoke to an elder. I was taken to an area where some footprints had just been found. Being skeptical, I took my right boot off and stepped down next to the footprint. I am 7 foot 1 tall and weigh 395 pounds and wear a size 17 street shoe or a size 19 boot, as boot sizes are often mislabeled. I am of Scott and Lakota Sioux lineage and speak a number of First Nation languages. After putting on my boots, we heard a screaming howl. My friends started saying Oma was coming and we had to leave. My friend Dave told his elder about what I had done and we went back to the site three hours later. There were numerous large footprints surrounding mine and what I believe to be a large finger hole in the middle of my footprint. I was contacted a couple of weeks later and invited back to the reservation as they normally lose a good portion of their apple crop to Oma but in 2006 they didn't lose anything. They wanted to know if I could come back every year and walk around barefoot to intimidate Oma and if I have any big friends my size. Oma either saw me with the much shorter native Indians and thought I was another Oma or recognized the footprint as a threat. The elder thought Oma didn't want a confrontation with something almost as big as he and left the area. The Oma footprint was the same length as mine but an inch and half wider at the ball and three-quarter of an inch wider at the heel. The depth of the print was the same. I have spoken with some so-called experts from the BFRO and from the Bigfoot Discovery Project and got laughed at, but then they wanted me to come with them and speak to the Bigfoot via bullhorn in either native language. I rather not be used by someone who is too narrow-minded for me to speak to the Kanan Peoches, literally the people of the north who don't comb their hair, Bigfoot. I have seen a werewolf creature. It spoke to me and ran toward me. I was 14, so over 28 years ago. I had been using Ouija boards for weeks prior with my friend Angela and had contacted what we thought was a little girl named, Emily Carter. My friends and I were out front of my house when our friend Michelle started skipping and acting like a young child, a very odd vibe was present. Angela and I called out to Emily, and with that, My hand on my heart and on my three children's lives, a large wolf figure appeared instead of my friend Michelle, levitated and in this voice, deep, growly said, don't ever call me Emily Carter again. It then, at an intense speed, ran towards us, Angela and myself. With that it was gone, and Michelle was back to normal. The thing is, both Angela and I saw this, she spoke first, so I know it was not just me, it happened. For years I have tried to make sense of it, research what it was, look at why it happened. I experienced many odd things at that time, I believe due to using the Ouija board, I never after this nor ever will use it again after that experience. If I had not experienced it, I wouldn't believe it, so I'm not asking for belief. Simply letting you know, foreseen it to and believe you. Yet on the positive it's shown me dark and in doing so confirmed there has to be light. It all starts on a winter night in Juneau, Alaska. About four years back while I was a senior in high school, a few friends of mine were over at my house, a neighborhood on the side of a mountain surrounded by a forest. We were bored with our video games and TV, so we all decide to walk a trail in the woods. This is about 3 a.m. and we weren't worried about running into bears because it was their hibernation time. So we gear up for the zero degree weather and leave for a trail up the mountain that I had played it as a kid, running through the woods and building forts. So of course growing up in it, knowing it like my own home I wasn't too worried. We had crossed a bridge onto the trail and walked about a half mile when my friend stops and says he heard something up ahead. I say that it's most likely a deer or something, having seen much of Alaska's wildlife in these woods. So we keep walking and by this point he's a little nervous glancing around a lot. My third friend started to say it was probably the Kushtika, a local legend of a creature that shapeshifts into something that lures you to your death. He freaks out even more and I tell him I've spent half my life in these woods and haven't seen one thing that was remotely strange. About 5 minutes later we heard snow crunch under a huge pine tree about 10 yards in front of us. We stop dead in our tracks, looking up the path towards the tree. I shine the flashlight in that direction and we catch a flash of something moved behind the tree, almost like a bike reflector or something. We start walking slowly away from the tree, back down the trail, not looking away from the tree. Then we see a hand from behind the tree touch the ground and I stop dead, frozen with fear, not looking away with my flashlight directly on it. It took a few seconds for my friends to realize what I was looking at. Then they saw it too. My friend who had been scared this whole time goes nuts and starts putting together words that made no sense. Whatever was behind the trees leaned out to look at us. Its eyes reflected like a dog's from the beam of my flashlight, making its face blurry from the glare. Instantly we all run, not daring to stop. No movement was heard until we had reached the bridge, when one of my friends fell on the ice. That's when I heard it bounding up the path towards us. I shine my light and there it is running towards us on all fours half screaming, half howling. It looks almost like a human but seemed to be a lot taller and skinnier, very pale in the moonlight and against the snow. It was completely naked. So I run and jump off the low bridge onto the frozen creek and yell for them to follow me. We run down the side of the creek towards my neighborhood. I have never run so fast and so far, but I kept on for fear of what I saw. During the entire run I could hear whatever it was running through the woods directly to the right of us, all the way until we got to the street light by a children's park. To this day my friend and i still bring up crazy theories of what we had seen my other friend the one who had been so terrified had never brought it up again this happened in an area of kentucky called kettle creek on 500 acres called god's land when i was a teenage girl i walked up on this thing bent over in the berry bushes after crossing a tiny creek I had a friend's dog with me and she spotted it before i did the dog went crazy like i had not seen her do before she was lunging at the thing snarling barking growling and snapping the air toward this thing i was glancing back and forth between the dog and what i thought was a black bear the dog is trying to keep the focus on the creature so i could escape i'm freaking out inside my head as i'm deathly afraid of bears As my eyes went back to the creature it stood up. It was now facing me it had its head barely turned as I watched as it looked at both me and the dog simultaneously. There was no expression on its face that I could tell except something that seemed serious. I locked eyes with it for several seconds and couldn't understand what I was looking at. I had a full view of its face taking in as much detail as I could, even though I was scared witless. Its face was not of a bear no snout or protruding nose. It had hair outlining the structure of its face, black with a reddish tint around the forehead and its cheeks. The eyes seemed to hold an expression but I couldn't read it. I was perplexed at what I was seeing. There was no beard or mustache on its face but there was hair across the upper part of the cheeks. The face seemed rounded. The eyes were big and glistened.
0: and 365 day returns.
1: Dark brown eyes with a hint of white along the outer side of the eyeballs. The lashes were dark not sure if it was black or dark brown. The nose was sort of like a human nose but much bigger and slightly spread out. Its mouth was big, almost too big. The lips were thin. I never saw any teeth, thank the stars for that. For some reason. My eyes were glued to its mouth. I don't understand why. Then I heard the words it said, control the dog or it will be no more. At that point, I looked at the dog and tried to coax her to me. I looked back at this thing and couldn't figure out how it spoke to me without its mouth moving. My eyes were fixed on the mouth again and I again heard the same words, but this time more demanding. I grabbed the dog by the scruff and tried to pull her alongside me but she broke my grasp. As I looked up at this thing I was staring at the eyes which were focused down on the dog. I know if I didn't grab the dog again it would die. So I grabbed a firmer grip and I pulled her to me. A strange ease surrounded me and the dog as I began pushing it to my left and off the boulder at my back. As I pushed the dog further my eyes were on the dog and not this thing. I released my grip on the dog and she took off without me towards the front meadow. I turned briefly back toward this thing to see it slightly turning and bending back down in the blackberry bushes. Then, I saw it had swaying breasts. It was a female. Why didn't I look at the full body? I decided to leave this thing be since it didn't hurt me or eat me like the stories I'd heard from the people around this land. That night, just before the sun went down. I heard a voice in my head. This time it felt deeper than the first. It said, now that you have seen us we will have to come get you. That voice scared me so badly that I packed up all my things and left early the next morning. I didn't say anything to anyone on the land. I couldn't tell them something I had no clue about. I understood from the second voice it was her brother and not sure what he meant by coming to get you. I think, in a way. This was the opening for my learning from them and about them. I had no knowledge about Bigfoot until the early 1990s. That's when I first saw snippets of the Patterson or Gimlin film. I didn't even know other people had experiences. I didn't know that there were more than those I had experienced until I saw that film. I hitchhiked all over the US and stayed alone in my travels. I didn't like traveling with other people. I liked being able to take my time or travel swiftly to my next destination. It's unheard of these days for a young teenage girl to hitchhike the US, but that was my life and I loved it, being able to live in the peaceful wilds. I will start off by saying this is going to be a long post. My apologies. I will also state that if I'm posting this in the wrong sub, Please tell me where this would be more acceptable to post. This is the story of an encounter that lasted off and on for almost a decade. Me and the paleman. This started around when I was 13 years old. It's worth mentioning that I didn't have a very good home life but I also wasn't very aware of this fact. I suspected that maybe families were sometimes just like that. Houses were always this messy and decrepit parents were always either insanely controlling and accusatory or they weren't around at all. At this point in my life, I would have to take a bus to school. I would wake up very early to catch it, and it was almost always still dark outside when I walked to the bus stop. In the corner of my eye there he would be, in my yard. The tall gangly figure. He was maybe 7 feet tall. Papery white skin. Long arms. Spindly and long fingers humanoid shaped body that was very very thin and bony, and he had no face to speak of. He gave me a very deep sense of dread whenever I caught a glimpse of him. But oddly enough, he would just stand at the end of the yard. When I would try to look at him, he'd vanish. I thought maybe it was just my imagination. As time went on he would appear in different places. When we moved, he would be at our new house. I figured I brought him there. Sometimes at night, when everyone was asleep and the house was dark, in the pitch black living room I could swear I saw him, standing in the middle of the room, or sitting on the couch. I avoided passing the living room at night altogether, because of him. I was terrified of his presence. When I realized he probably wasn't going anywhere, I decided I should name him. I had an issue with personalizing things growing up. I would give objects names and personalities. It prevented me from wanting to throw things away and I still sometimes struggle with this. But in this instance, naming him was what I was using to be less scared of him. I named him the Paleman. As my mental health declined, and the emotional abuse I was facing became more apparent and rampant, he became bold, it seemed. Sometimes when I would be in the shower I would swear I could see him on the other side of the curtain. I would see it slowly move as if he were poking it. I would press my back against the wall of the shower and watch him, slowly scratch at the curtain. He never tried to open it. He never made noises. I could just see his familiar tall shadow from behind the curtain. He scared me, but I felt confident telling myself he wasn't dangerous. One of the houses he followed us to had a long, poorly lit hallway, so any time of day, if my door was open I would see him walk past, quietly and quickly in the dark. It almost became comforting to have him there. My mother was rarely home, and my brothers didn't seem to notice him. It's like he was there to check up on me. I started to whisper into the dark living room at night, good night, Paleman. And I would see him slowly wave from the couch. Fast forward to now. I live with my girlfriend. I started seeing a therapist. Though, I haven't mentioned Paleman. When I started taking medication and addressing issues and old trauma, he started to show up less and less. The last I saw of him, he was in the living room. Standing. He was too tall for the room so his head was a little bent forward. I waved at him. He waved back at me. I said to him good night, paleman. Thank you. He bowed his head a bit. I walked to my bed. He stayed there. In the morning, as always he was not there, but then the following nights he also hadn't shown. I was a bit sad to have him leave, but I'm sure it's for the better. I like to think he moved on to better things. I know I sure did. I'll admit, I wrote to Anne Rice about my account of my encounter with a vampire. I find it interesting that she first wrote interview with a vampire in 1973. The book was published in 1976. I didn't read the book until 1980. Upon reading the book I felt she may have met the same person I met in 1973. I have never received a reply from her. I do realize that she probably gets thousands of emails per month on her website. I wrote to her in 2001. I have told my story several times to several different people and always get the same response, one of disbelief. Although my mother and sister sometimes still tease me, asking, Do you remember when you dated that vampire? I am now 51 years old. 34 years ago I was 17 and that summer I was working for the U.S. Forest Service as an intern through a government program called the Neighborhood Youth Corps. We planted trees and dug potential fire-break lines in the forests of northern Idaho a firefighting crew came into town midsummer since it was a particularly dry summer and was on standby just in case they were needed. Among that crew was the most beautiful young man I had ever seen. He had long blonde hair and perfectly symmetrical features. He reminded me of a more refined version of Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin. He was tall and handsome and everything I ever thought I would give up my virginity to. I spent a lot of time just looking at him. He apparently noticed and began talking to me when the crew came into town from their forest stations. He asked me out and I was ecstatic. We met for dinner several times, always late, after 10 pm. He never ate, urging me to order whatever I would like to have and he would have a glass of wine. I never knew how old he was but the drinking age in Idaho at the time was 19. He also had a European accent of some sort he said he was from Germany. We would part at the restaurant, and he never made any attempt to kiss me, which I thought very strange since every other guy I had dated prior was always all over me. One night I suggested we meet at a place very near to my apartment, as I planned to ask him back to my house afterward for whatever. You got it, I wanted him. Fast forward to my apartment. After opening a bottle of wine and chatting he said he wanted to take me into his confidence because he really liked me. He continued to say that he doesn't usually tell anyone the truth about him because it scares people. Okay, I felt the first flash of fear. He then went on to tell me that he was from Germany and was over 400 years old, that he was a vampire. I didn't know what to say. So, I asked, what do you mean, a vampire? He said he was from an aristocratic family and was chosen and attacked by a vampire in his family's estate. He was made a vampire by his attacker. By what he had become he left with these other vampires and traveled all over the world. He came to hate him so much that he branched out on his own in France after many years. I asked him if he drank blood and killed people. He paused and said that yes, sometimes he chose to take a human life. Okay. At this point my fear was turning to terror. He was either a psychopath with a really interesting story or he was the real thing and I was about to die either way. I told him he was scaring me. He said he thought he probably would and that was not his intention. It was hard for him to make friends and when he felt he could trust someone he would tell them the truth about himself since his lifestyle was not ordinary and needed the acceptance of what friends he had to maintain a friendship with them. He also told me that he knew I was expecting to have sex with him and that he would agree to that, but that sex was really no longer pleasurable to him although he knew it was pleasurable to normals. By this time I was really freaking out and said I think you should leave. I remember he looked really sad. He said of course he would leave but he wanted me to think about being friends with him. I said, I don't think so, you need to leave. He got up slowly and picked up his jacket and reached inside his jacket pocket for a pen and paper. I was really shaking by this time and thought his every move was a ploy to his move to kill me. But he wrote his phone number at the camp on a piece of paper and said, if you change your mind, call me. And then he left. When he walked out the door I was trembling so badly I could barely dial the phone. I called my mother to come get me, and to take me home that night. I told her I just ended a date with a really creepy, scary guy. I paced the floor until she got there listening for any sounds that might indicate that he was breaking into my apartment. I told my parents and they said I did the right thing by calling them. My dad said it's time for you to move out of that apartment and I did. I never called the guy and I never saw him again. His name was Manfred Kirshner. I have never forgotten him. I thought he was a psycho until I read interview by Rice. I have wondered for 28 years now if he is who Rice called Lestat. Believe me or not, there you have it. During March last year, I, along with my hunting buddy, Mr. Hamilton of Greene County, Arkansas, had an encounter that defied explanation. We were out in the woods enjoying our hunting trip, when we stumbled upon a group of cattle in a state of apparent alarm. They were fleeing in disarray, clearly pursued by some mysterious and dreaded presence. Intrigued by the commotion, we decided to halt and investigate. As the panicked cattle rushed past us, we soon saw what had sent them into a frenzy, an enigmatic creature with an uncanny resemblance to a human being. However, this being was far from human. This wild and enormous figure was covered in hair, from head to toe, with long locks draping over his shoulders and neck like a shaggy mane. The sight of him sent shivers down our spines. We mustered our courage and observed this wildman, for we had no better name to call him, as he stood there, gazing at us with an unsettling intensity. After what felt like an eternity, he turned and dashed away with astonishing speed leaping distances of 12 to 14 feet with each bound. It was a display of athleticism that defied any logical explanation. To add to the mystery, the footprints he left behind were massive, measuring a staggering 13 inches each. This encounter was surreal and left us in a state of bewilderment. The existence of this peculiar creature was not an isolated incident. It had long been part of the local folklore and tradition in Saint. Francis Green and points at Counties. Arkansas sportsmen and hunters had whispered about this mysterious being for as long as 17 years prior to our own encounter. In fact, a planter from the area had seen this wildman quite recently but chose to keep his experience a secret, fearing that others might not believe his account. However, our own experience, along with Mr. Hamilton's, had now firmly established the existence of this enigmatic creature beyond any shadow of doubt. Am not an outdoorsman, but I was camping with a group of friends. We were in high school on spring break and decided to all go camping for a couple of days. Takes place in the late 90s. Three tents a truck and SUV, there were eight of us the first night. We drove far from the main road towards the mountains. We found what looked like a good campsite, flat ground and a good size field next to it. Now as teenagers we wanted to have fun so we had alcohol and weed. The first night we all got wasted. One friend pissed himself and another threw up on the hood of another friend's truck. Scratched up the pain trying to clean it up. Anyways. On to the scary stuff. The second night there were six of us. There wasn't much parting going on and everyone except a friend and I stayed up cooking food over the fire, munchies. We were cooking and he's telling me a story and as he's telling me this story I hear a scream in the distance. I stop him did you hear that? I asked. No he replied. Alright it could be that I'm a little buzzed. We finish eating and decide to call it a night. On the way to our tent I hear the scream again and it's in that open field. My heart stops immediately. I get goosebumps and I'm terrified. My friend turns around and I ask him did you hear that? Yes he replied. Now to describe this scream it sounds like a woman giving off the most blood curdling scream. Extremely high pitched and loud. Now me feeling a little buzzed I'm thinking of this ugly chupacabra alien looking creature just staring at us in the distance. Ready to run up and kill us. We immediately jump into the tent and remain quiet our breathing is quiet but we are on alert. This is twice I've heard the scream. We hear it again, it's much closer now. Again I'm thinking of this creature never seen by anyone because it kills everyone who sees it that is coming to kill us. My heart is racing and I think this might be it. All of a sudden another scream, but from the opposite direction. Oh my god there are two of them. The screaming continues from both directions probably every 20 seconds or so. It's like they are talking to each other planning on how to kill us. We're surrounded. We finally whisper to each other what do we do? It's probably been a good two minutes since we jumped in the tent but it felt like an eternity. There's another friend in the tent passed out. He never wakes up. My friend remembers he has both sets of car keys. He quickly presses the panic buttons. We let the car alarms go off for a few minutes. During this time we couldn't hear any screaming. We can see the car lights flashing against the tent. When we thought the creature got scared away we stopped the car alarms and both yelled loudly get the F up everyone. We unzip the tent, he's already unlocked the car doors we see people emerging from the other tents in panic. We all jump into one of the vehicles, start it up and lock the doors. Everyone is asking what's wrong. We explained the screams and asked them if they heard. They all replied no. We explained what happened and I think because of how terrified we were they believed us. We all agreed to leave the camp and drive to one of their houses and spend the night there. I couldn't sleep that night. I kept thinking the creature somehow attached itself to the car or followed us home just waiting. Daylight couldn't have come quick enough. We had some breakfast and told his parents the story. Well now they think we are crazy. We decide to head back to the site. We arrive and there are large paw prints around the campsite. One of my friends suggests it could be mountain lions. The most terrifying part is when looking at the paw prints, our shoe prints had walked over the paw prints. Now we were careful not to disrupt the scene when we returned. This means when we heard the screams they may have been closer than we thought. After the car alarm scared them away we stepped over their paw prints. I looked at the empty field where I heard the screams and got chills. What you are about to read is a little weird. Correction, it's a lot weird. But, for whatever reason, I felt it was interesting enough to write down. Keep in mind, That there are first-hand stories, second-hand stories, and so on. This is a third-hand story with as little poetic license as necessary. I am confident I have recorded the details with a high degree of accuracy. It may get confusing but here we go. What I know of this story came from my close friend Doug. I have known Doug for many years. He is a successful businessman and I would never question his integrity. Several months ago Doug came by my office and while we visited he related the details of a conversation he had with one of his longtime customers. To be honest, Doug and I both don't know what to make of this strange conversation with his customer. His story may just be the raving of a schizophrenic. Although the credibility of the person who shared their first-hand account with Doug would make a diagnosis of schizophrenia difficult to imagine, that would at least make sense but it's an interesting story nonetheless. After writing it down I emailed the story to Doug for verification. He confirmed I had written the account down as accurately as he felt possible. With that introduction, here is what Doug told me. I have this customer who sat down with me at my office and posed a very strange question. He asked, do you believe in UFOs? I have only known him for a short time but I do know he was in the US Marine Corps and he has enough accolades and credentials that I would not question his integrity. He comes across as extremely reputable which makes his story both intriguing and bizarre. To protect his identity, and since I do not have his permission to relate this story, I will refer to him as John. I told John that I, of course, do believe some things have been seen flying and at the same time been unidentifiable. What I don't know is what they were, since, of course, they are by their very nature, unidentifiable. That is as logical of a statement as I could have made. John appeared to have accepted my answer. He took it as an affirmative, which is to say that I do in fact believe in UFOs. Crossing that bridge, the strange story began to unroll out of John's mouth. The following is the story told by John to my friend Doug. The story John shared revolved around an elderly friend who lived close to him. I will call his elderly friend Tom. One day Tom asked John if, in fact, he believed in UFOs. John answered in the affirmative. Tom proceeded. He said he had something he wanted to show John. But first, before sharing his story, he must take John to a site in Las Vegas. Once the evening had settled in and the sun had long disappeared behind the Red Rock Mountains the two of them drove to the corner of Tropicana and Decatur Boulevard, just a few miles west of the Las Vegas Strip. This site is well known by longtime Vegas residents who live on the west side of the city. The name it is known by is The Pits. Due to its strange and varied dirt mounds, it is favored by dirt bike enthusiasts and although it is not far from the famous Las Vegas Strip it remained undeveloped due to several reasons. The first would be the cost of leveling the ground and the second would be its location being part of a major wash heading into Las Vegas. The city of Las Vegas has contended for years with flash floods and washes are not the best sites to develop. When they arrived at the pits they pulled off into the desert and walked to a spot where Tom indicated they should stop. Tom began surveying the area with what John assumed was a metal detector. After some searching, he found a spot where the detector came alive. He placed a rock at that point. Then he went off in another direction until the detector sounded again. Another rock was placed at the second point. Again he repeated his search for a spot in the dark that would complete an equilateral triangle. Sure enough, the detector sounded at the exact spot. He placed a third rock. All the time searching and setting up the triangle Tom kept checking his watch. With all three corners of the triangle revealed, he began to feel his way to the true center of the triangle. Judging his position relative to the three points of the triangle and feeling confident he was in position, he stepped aside and placed John dead center in the triangle. Tom stepped back staring at his watch and waited. John, he said. In just a minute you will feel a pulse through your body. The points of the triangle are places where transmission pillars have been buried deep in the earth. In the center of these transmission pillars, where you now stand, is where the transmission waves will be generated. Where they are transmitting to I don't know. But I do know these transmissions occur at regular intervals during the late night. And when they occur you can feel them. They are about to transmit any minute now. They both remained quiet as they waited. Suddenly, just as Tom had described, John felt a sensation in the darkness. John described a physical force like an electrical pulse rolling up his body from his toes to his head. It was as if a group of people were surrounding you with rolling pins and they were rolling them up your body from your toes to the top of your head. It didn't last too long and just as suddenly as it started, it stopped. It was never made clear to John how Tom knew about these transmission events. He was only told that, for whatever reason, Tom had known about certain alien information for many years and was sworn to secrecy. With that experience under John's belt, Tom felt confident that John was prepared for what Tom felt compelled to show him. The only reason Tom gave for showing John any of this was, just in case. Next Tom took John on a drive outside of Las Vegas. They headed west on the Blue Diamond Highway leading toward Pahrump, Nevada. The town of Blue Diamond is about 15 to 20 miles southwest of Las Vegas. At some point near Blue Diamond Tom drove off the highway and headed into the desert. Tom told him that what he was about to show him he needed to get off his chest. He had information about aliens among us and was sworn to secrecy. He had kept these secrets for as long as he could, which John assumed was many years. At Tom's advanced age, he wanted someone else to know some of what he knew. The headlights bounced in front of their car illuminating the dirt road that led deeper into the desert. As cacti and sagebrush rushed past them Tom confessed that by spilling the beans his life would be in danger. Regardless of the consequences for both of them, they drove on. Moments later they pulled up to a door in the middle of nowhere set into the side of a rocky bluff. This door, this location, this place, was what Tom wanted John to see. They only stayed a moment when Tom said, we have to leave right now. They know we are here. As they drove away from the mysterious door suddenly lights appeared to them as headlights materialized virtually out of nowhere and began following them. Tom picked up speed. At several points, the lights tailed them no less than three feet off their back bumper. Jolts of anxiety, fear, and panic swept through both Tom and John. Without warning the lights went black. Tom craned his neck to look back. No lights or vehicles were visible, only darkness. That was the last time John would see Tom. Days after this strange experience, John sought Tom out, but was unable to find him. Tom's home was empty and none of his neighbors knew where he went. None of them saw him leave. The neighbor across the street claimed to see men in white hazmat suits take all Tom's belongings. After several days, not being able to move past the strange events, John decided he would revisit the transmission site. Late one evening, while driving home from work, he made a detour to the pits. As he approached he anticipated pulling into the desert area where he and Tom had once parked. He discovered that he wouldn't be able to pull off the road due to a dirt berm having been erected. He instead parked his truck on the shoulder of the road and got out. He made his way to the berm and climbed up. Instead of the dark vacant area he had visited days before, now before him was a lot of construction equipment and massive construction lights flooding the entire area. He climbed up the berm and, while resting on his stomach, looked over to see what all the commotion was about. No sooner had he begun looking when suddenly, as if on cue, flood lights all around the construction site turned and pointed their beams directly at his position. Not wanting to feel paranoid he quickly left the area and drove home. Later he learned the city had started construction on a flood retention basin and park at the site. John still couldn't shake the feelings left by this experience. Where was Tom? Considering what was going on at the transmission site, did any of it have to do with Tom? Eventually, he shared the experience with a couple of his friends. They, of course, were curious and wanted him to show them the door in the desert. After some coaxing, John agreed and they headed out. They took his friend's vehicle and John sat shotgun. At one point, As they were driving the dirt road, John began to feel nervous and admittedly scared. He considered telling his friend to take a wrong turn, acting as though he had forgotten the directions on how to get there. He knew had he acted as if he didn't remember the location of the door he'd take a lot of heat from his friends. Instead of deflecting, he found himself drawn closer in the direction of the door. His own curiosity had gotten the best of him. As they drove along they saw up ahead an old pickup truck that had pulled off alongside the dirt road. As they approached they could make out an extremely tall thin man leaning against the driver's side door. His dress was casual and he sported a pair of dark sunglasses. They pulled up behind the truck and the tall man walked up to the driver's window, bent down, and asked them what they were doing out there. ''We're just driving around,'' said the driver and they all gestured in the affirmative you need to turn around, he told them. You've driven onto private property. Who are you? They said, pushing back with a little attitude, not willing to immediately comply. I'm the law out here, he said, but he wore no uniform, nor did he flash a badge. The tall man offered no sign of authority. John's friends were unimpressed. The tall man straightened, paused, then slowly walked around the vehicle and lowered his head into the passenger's window where john sat john's window was down when he was face to face with john he raised his sunglasses and looked directly into his eyes what john saw in the tall man's eyes sent a shock throughout his entire body looking back at him were not the eyes of a man the tall man's eyes were more feline than human and he addressed john by his full name john blank he said consider this your warning. Do we have an understanding? John said, yes. And with that, they drove away. That is the extent of the story as told by John to my friend Doug. I don't know anymore. I have lived in Las Vegas for over 50 years and have never seen a door in the desert. But there are parts of the desert around Blue Diamond that are not accessible to the public. Doug has approached John since talking to me and asked if he would be willing to take us to the door. So far the answer is no. Not me but my dad. He was talking a piss after field dressing a deer he just shot. From the darkness about 10 to 15 feet away, a cougar screamed at him, which sounds like a woman screaming bloody murder, seriously youtube a video, it's nuts. He nearly shit himself and thankfully had a pistol on him. He fired a warning shot and loaded the deer on the gator to finish at camp lol.